0: Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Dave. And this is The Commentary Cast, a podcast bringing you missing commentaries and first-hand insights from the filmmakers behind the streaming content you
1: love. In this week's episode, we talk to director Max Barbaco about his film, Palm Springs. I love this movie, Dave. This is exactly what I needed last year in the middle of a crazy pandemic-riddled lockdown. Yeah, it was certainly uh, mine and my lovely wife, Julie's favourite film of last year. And yeah, exactly. Just sitting on the couch, just being able to chill out, relax and have some really good, fun sci-fi times. I'm going to say modern classic, you know, because it really had. it's working on every level. It's
0: funny, it's creative, it's fresh, uh, but it's also really heartfelt. It's a great
1: modern romance to add to, you know, everybody's lists of favourites I've like hoped. A hundred percent. And yeah, both leads just bring the charm factor, just like notching it right up to a thousand.
0: Well, if any of our foolish listeners and, you know, it's a subset of people, uh, most of our listeners are brilliant, ingenious, inspired individuals. But if any of our listeners haven't seen Palm Springs yet, pause the podcast, go and watch it, come back. um, And if you need any more convincing, let's take a listen to the trailer.
1: It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You! What is going on? Hey, get out of the water! Yeah. Guess you followed me.
0: It's one of those infinite time-loop situations you might have heard about.
1: That I might have heard about? Yeah. Let's waste some time. Oh, you
2: pretty things. Hey. You know you're
1: hey. Everything that we are doing hey. is meaningless.
0: I hope it's not all meaningless. At least you have each other. Nothing worse than going through this shit alone. Stop! There's a bomb in the cake. Don't worry. I used to be a bomb guy. Stand back! Ah! Oh
1: my god! It's gonna be a beautiful wedding.
0: Uh, sometimes i feel like i'm living in a time loop dave every time we step up to record another one of these intros there you are always the same
1: i'm getting a large sense of deja vu that we've done this before grant
0: i if nothing else i can just pin you as being reliable reliably (laughs) dave (laughs) and often that's you know you can't ask for much more from a co-host except perhaps the synopsis of the film can you tell us what the movie's about
1: Yes. Well, Palm Springs tells the story of two wedding guests stuck in a time loop who develop a budding romance while living the same day over and, over and over and over and over and over again. Did you
0: count them out? Is that accurate to the
1: film? Is that how many loops are in the movie? Let's just go with yes and we'll correct that later if it's right. <laughs> uh,
0: the film stars Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti and uh, J.K. Simmons. And this is actually Max's first film, if you can believe that. An incredible accomplishment for any filmmaker at any point in their career. And Max is like, you know what? I'll do a masterpiece as my first movie. Nice work, Max. Can you teach me how to do that? Uh, when the film premiered at Sundance back in 2020, it sold to Hulu and Neon Dave for actually the highest amount in the festival's history.
1: Uh, yes, and in perfect uh, Andy Sandberg fashion. It beat that record by a rather strategic amount, just 69 cents nice
0: (laughs) made they made the the damn thing for i think around five million dave and sold it for 17 and a half plus 69 cents which is i guess that's
1: that's the first time filmmaker fairy tale and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy as you are all about to see so for those that are new to the podcast grant and this week's guest are going to be having a conversation while watching the film and if you listen for the cue to hit play you can watch along too or just listen at your own leisure. Well, let's get into it. Wait. Hold the phone. I have questions, Grant. I have questions that you need to ask the filmmaker this week. You just leave them hanging all the time. Wow. Dave! Dave's going off script. I am absolutely. We're no longer in the perfect
0: time loop of Dave doing...
1: Exactly the same thing, week just, in, week out. Just going, J.K. Simmons on you. I'm uh, just throwing You're it just into the mix,
0: shooting me through the heart with an arrow. All right, I'm, I'm all ears,
1: Dave. Tell me what are these questions? All right, the burning questions that I and I'm assuming so many other people around the world need to know. We need to know about the damn dinosaurs. What the hell is with the right. dinosaurs? Right. Um, let me get a pen here. Dave must know about dinosaurs. Got it. Cool. And the other one, Nana. I need to know about Nana. The truth Dave. about Nana. Dave wants to know the truth about Nana.
0: Okay, exactly. got it. They are marked down, they are on the list, they will be asked directly to the filmmaker, to the source, the the keeper of all the secrets that are Palm Springs. I'm coming back to you and our listeners with answers. All right, well, right, let's get into it. Let's do it, Dave. Max Babaco, thank you so much for joining on the joining us on the show to talk about your hit movie Palm Springs. Dude, you, are you still on cloud 9? Yeah, it's cool. I'm excited to watch it. I haven't seen it in a bit. Thanks for having me, Grant. This will be fun. This is like record-shattering Sundance sale territory, this movie, right? Busting records by 69 cents. I have been
2: told that, yes. That was a, a crazy experience. That I might have been, I might have blacked out for at Sundance. Um, not <laughs> due to alcohol, due to the altitude and the, the adrenaline of the uh, of the sale. But
0: yeah, I've been told that's what happened. I just have an image of you guys rolling around in your lodge in uh, Park City, Utah, <laughs> laughing on piles of money when when the sale is going down. Like, can you give us a little bit of an insight into like how that moment played out? Like, you must have known that you you guys had a killer movie before it played before the first screening. And then when did you first get the whispers in here that we were in the middle of a real bidding war on this thing?
2: Well, I mean, we knew that we liked the movie and, and early on, you know, it um, even going into the the first meeting with the Lonely Island before we had made the movie, Andy Ciara and myself, the, the screenwriter, this was just something we wanted to go make to kind of cleanse ourselves of a, of a film's, sp- film school experience and rediscover our instincts. So when you get an opportunity to meet with the Lonely Island way back when that didn't seem really real. And so we decided to kind of suspend our expectations for the entire experience. So even going to Sundance, you know, we never knew that we were, that was going to happen. We felt lucky that that was in the cards for us. And then to uh, just sell the movie for what we did and to even have it play as well as it did that, you know, we had no expectations. I just remember um being in the back of, of the theater at Sundance and not really being able to hear how well the movie played or, you know, how, it, how it played at all. And we were lucky that the the Lonely Island had AM, a Lonely Island classics graphic <laughs> that, that come up before the movie plays and in a room full of acquisitions, people that truly did get a laugh. I could hear that laugh, but other than that, you know, you're just kind of hoping it goes well. And then afterward did the Q and A went to the premiere party. And that's when, um, that's when reviews started coming in and the buzz was really good and, and you realized that people had really liked it and, you know, liked it as much as you liked it and, and got what you thought was special about it or the energy that you tried to put into the movie and all those things. And um, it just became one of those crazy nights that you read about in books like Down and Dirty
0: Picture Pictures and all those Sundance books where it was, you know,
2: off to the races. It was
0: pretty nuts. Well, I hope it's uh, something that people hear about on podcasts like the Commentary Cast. And I'm interested to hear more about that night and all the nights that led up to it, you know, through the making of this movie, because it really is something very, very special, uh, as all of our listeners would know, because I hope they've watched it at least once already. Uh, but they're going to get the chance to watch it again with us now uh, as you provide those in- insights, uh firsthand. So let, let's give everyone a second to cue to up the movie on their streaming platform of choice. Uh, in Certainly Hulu in the US, I know in Australia, it's available on Prime. I'm sure it's available uh, somewhere in your part of the world, dear listeners. But I'm going to hit play in three, two, one, and we are away. So I'd just like to hear a little bit more about how the whole thing got going like you know you, you had this meeting with the lonely I- island guys did you know them at all before or it was just you coming in cold with a great idea for a movie hoping that they would recognize that fact
2: the the script was written it was uh, an idea that andy cr and i had been toying around with for by the time we met the lonely island guys a couple of years uh, we went to afi conservatory together to film school together and knew that we wanted to make our first film together out of school a narrative feature and went out to Palm Springs to brainstorm uh, for a weekend and came back with the idea of kind of a self-contained movie around an estate in the desert and the character of Niles. But that was kind of the only thing, um, the only two things that have anything in common with the movie that you're watching. You know, it was a feel like it was a new year's movie before it was a wedding movie and there was no time loop in that first iteration. And then just after a, Series of very repetitive feeling weddings that I'm sure everybody <laughs> um, experiences in your in your mid to late twenties, and um, Andy's own wedding in Palm Springs. That was a lovely night, um, but I actually filmed that wedding for him. Um, and as a very lovelorn, lonely person at the time, myself was watching one of my best buddies <laughs> get be married.
0: Feature on the release of the movie. Uh, I can we have the that footage. <laughs>
2: We could get the we could get the video that his wife Amanda cut from the footage that I shot, but uh it just felt like an interesting um you know story to to put somebody who was very far away from intimacy and vulnerability and very uh misanthropic stuck uh on the same day um of his life, which so happened to be you know a wedding that was so full of joy and, and meaning for everybody else involved and that's kind of how the the wedding time loop idea um Broke open and then it was a a fair amount of work after that to get it to a place that that made sense. Still a lot of false starts, but we went into that meeting with the Lonely Island with a finished script, um, their names on it and me as a director kind of pitching what the movie should feel like, you know, for Andy to
0: potentially star in for them to produce. I I want to hear more about that, like in a minute. But before we get to like the pitching it to a major star and hoping he says yes, part of the story, I am interested in the the script development part. So you come away yeah. from your your getaway in Palm Springs with with a character, with a world, with a with an atmosphere or a vibe. But then you introduce this time loop concept down the road, which ultimately becomes so fundamental to what the movie is. What's the timeline? There, Like, how long were you working on the project before time loops came into it? And then how long had you been working on it by the time you were pitching it to the Lonely Island crew?
2: I feel like it was a, a good, like, six to eight months of this kind of existential road movie that stayed in one place, so to speak. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was structured along a, a Jungian journey and a lot of the characters that Niles would meet along that in, out in the desert made their way into the wedding party. Um, and then once we kind of, it became a wedding movie and it became a time loop movie. It honestly was, it came from a place of character. Like I described, you know, it's like, what's what's this character's personal version of hell? Can we <laughs> stick him there? Oh, time loop. And this is before, you know, Groundhog Day. We worship at the altar of, um, but it was before Russian Doll. It was before I feel like Happy Death Day even hit. It was before this uh, amazing slew of, of great time loop movies. So it was still more of like a novel idea. Um, it just felt like something fun to mess around with for for a first feature. We didn't overthink it too much. We were pretty stupid in that sense, you know, and then you, you get into the development of it. And it was probably like a year and a half of, um, of working, which was Andy and I in a room together, trying to make each other laugh. Um, and you would go off and write and we get back together and put it up and, and rework stuff. And, um, that process yielded, you know, something pretty close to the movie that you're watching. Once we met with The Lonely Island, they had a couple of really good substantial notes that changed the trajectory of the third act in particular, and kind of gave us license to dream bigger than this little kind of um, gonzo mumblecore movie that we were thinking about um, from the outset.
0: So, how did? I mean, it sounds like a dream run. It certainly sounds like it had a dream yeah. genesis, and it has a the story has a dream conclusion uh keep running us through it like when you go in and you pitch lonely island i mean i imagine all aspiring first-time directors kind of hope that they're going to get their their shot with a company like that with a with a an actor like that but kind of know in their hearts that it's an uphill battle was that your experience with these guys or they just recognized a great idea uh, as soon as you presented to them and you were kind of off to the races
2: like I said, we were so lucky to have the opportunity to begin with that going in there. I kind of, and again, it was a lot of me talking just because the script was already written. So it was kind of like, okay, who is this guy? And I had made shorts that had had some success at film festivals before, but there was no real proof of concept for this idea. So it was, you know, I know they had to kind of like use their imagination a little bit to see, um, or just hear me hear what I had to say to see where I would take it. Um, but I never thought it would happen. So you kind of <laughs> suspend any kind of self doubt, um in that scenario and and just try to have a great conversation but we got lucky in that they saw exactly what we were trying to do and where I wanted to take it you know and especially having the opportunity to talk to somebody like Andy Samberg in our minds once we knew going in there that he was interested or at hearing what we had to say it was like oh my god like of course this movie is kind of it had always been circling these kind of offbeat existential love stories like eternal sunshine or punch drunk love in our heads you know with a little more hard comedy our version of that but once you get somebody like Sandberg who I think is like you know a descendant of Adam Sandler and Jim Carrey in terms of sensibility everything kind of clicked a little more which was a really good sign it kind of refined what we were going for even within that pitch so we pitched and just talked about it and it was yep 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 you know like we were seeing the same movie from the get-go which was amazing and then he had some really great thoughts Um, a major one was that Sarah should try to find a way out of the time loop which was not in our initial draft that went out which was a genius note and allowed us to
0: kind of explore more of the sci-fi elements are we talking there about the end of the film where she becomes yeah, a, a nuclear the, the third act? Like, yeah. The
2: third act. Yeah. And, and them going into the cave together, you know, and really, I think we didn't have enough confidence, um, initially to really fully lean into the the metaphysics and the logic of, of the sci-fi, um, elements. And he was like, no, let's try to, let's try to go for it. Nor did we think we would ever, you know, we try to stay away from that orb in the cave as much as possible, but um, with their support and them making it more real they, they kind of dared us to dream
0: a little more and we went back and started working on the script with them what's well, um, another example of leaning into like what's original about this take on time loops right is that that it, it starts to affect character like Andy's yeah. character is intrinsically connected to the person he was before, of course, but also the time that he spent in the time loop, and you can believe that Sarah becomes a genius with it with all this stuff because she's got <laughs> nothing but time, and who's to say how long she, she might have spent longer working this stuff out than many PhDs do, you know, in their particular area of expertise. So uh, I think it's genius. What what can I ask? What was the original ending then, if not the way that we see it play out on screen? The original ending was he kind of. Uh, Andy catches her sneaking out of
2: Abe's room. Um, Niles catches Sarah sneaking out of, out of Abe's room, and she kind of reckons with her her messiness or accepts her messiness there, and they kind of forgive each other for all the messed up stuff that they've done. And then they get, they went to go get married um, in the bar yeah. with with Ted and Darla officiating. And it's kind of I mean, we we end on you know as they go in the cave together. That is very much like feels like they're walking to the altar, and then yeah. they face each other, and that is. A similar tableau, but just way more epic. Um, but we, you know, it not a. There wasn't. Sarah felt she was m- much more of a secondary character. I think in the version of that movie and in this movie, something that I find, even when we went to go, we started rehearsing them and we went to go make it. I, it was the first time I realized I'm like, oh, she's the, you know, she's the emotional catalyst of this film. There's really two protagonists, which wasn't really that <laughs> that clear to me um, until Miliati came on board and we started really working it. Um, it's. It was interesting in that sense.
0: The way that you guys come into the story is very smart. Like the point of view of it all, that the audience is like a step behind. We don't know if Andy's gonna come into the loop sometime in the future. We don't really know where we are, but there's something afoot and it's something kind of interesting. And at a certain point, we sort of almost shift perspectives to sarah i mean we literally do at times kind of move around and see things through other people's eyes but uh was that something that was always in the script the idea that we come into this story meeting a character who's been in this loop for god knows how long uh but the audience doesn't know that and they kind of have to play catch up
2: yeah once we've arrived at the time loop idea Yeah, that was one of the first things that we kind of implemented was that this guy was the master of his universe. That dance sequence was kind of the thing that unlocked that, the idea, in the speech too, that whole first scene, you know, a guy who knows everything about everybody at this wedding without them knowing who he is in the audience, not really knowing, um, you know, what he's talking about either. That seemed interesting.
0: I think I read online somewhere that you guys really had to choreograph those dance sequences to get everybody moving in time. And so Andy looks like he knows what's coming before uh it actually does is that is that accurate or is that the, the cramming the morning of the shoot it's like okay we got to shoot this today we haven't had a chance we worked to think that about out it's be. <laughs> we worked that out on the
2: day no I'm yeah. just kidding it um <laughs> it uh but I mean not not far off than that you know like we had a great choreographer Michelle Johnston who worked with Andy and Kristen and all the people that Andy interacts with in on the dance floor are, are background dancers that she's worked with um, so we worked that out in the studio, like a couple weeks out. And the dance at the beginning, you know, is the first half of kind of a two-parter. I, I like to think about it like he's calling to Sarah, and she's declining to respond. And then when they in the montage, when they're kind of falling in love, um, and they go into that bar and dance together, that's her acceptance of the of the call. Um, so we worked both of those dances out a couple weeks out from shooting and prep, and then you know they really just showed up on the day and nailed it in both instances, both in this first wedding setting, and then in the bar. Um, but later on in the montage, you'll see there are little flashes of them practicing the the dance moves with one another. And those were things that are moments that uh, Q-Tran, our cinematographer and I were, were seeing as we were making the movie off to the side. And we just started rolling on them thinking that we would, you know, they it would be a good thing to have in our back pocket and some nice moments to Bacon into the montage
0: um, to kind of sell the idea that they were connecting and they made the movie. Uh, As we're talking now, things are getting hot and heavy between Sarah and Niles. Uh, The the chemistry between these two uh, is palpable. Like uh, were you doing chemistry kind of tests uh, to work out if you really had the magic the way that you do, or is it like, you know, you've got two great actors kind of each on their own. Well, let's just hope that there's uh, chemistry and magic. And fireworks when they get together, or did you know that before you started shooting day one? We knew that. We got lucky in that. I think
2: shortly before Andy and I met the Lonely Island, Kristen had gone into their office to meet Becky sloveder a producer, and Andy on a general meeting just to connect. And what I think was supposed to be, you know, like a 45 minute meeting turned into a three hour meeting. They just kind of hit it off. And so they um, really wanted to work together on something, or at least Andy wanted to work. Um, with with Kristen, he knew that. And um our script came in shortly thereafter and we started working on this. And as we started thinking about Sarah's, she kind of rapidly just shot to the top of the list. And I was familiar with her from the year that she had or the, the couple of years that she had a couple of years prior where she was in Black Mirror, you know, and um Fargo and and just she has incredible Broadway stage experience too and was the mother on How I Met Your Mother. And she just never had repeated herself and was so protean and obviously talented and a true artist. So it was um, kind of a a really interesting match to think about going back again to like Punch Drunk Love and Eternal Sunshine. You have comedians doing turns that are more fueled by pathos and sadness and loneliness. And they're both pitted up against amazing actresses with, with great training. So Kristen kind of fit the bill there too um but th- that chemistry was there from the get-go and i remember when i hung out with them for the first time i just you know they talked again for another two hours and i just was you know <laughs> watching and trying to chime in but really just pinching myself realizing oh this is going to work this is going to be really great they obviously are, are very fond of one another and um have the same sensibility and are after the same things
0: the other superstar you've got in the movie is J.K. Simmons, who we just saw yeah. emerge from the shadows while we've been talking on screen. Um, how did J.K. get involved in the movie? And, and, and also, side question: uh, the character of Roy. How did he first enter the script? And what were the what were the what was the thinking behind that character that becomes so intrinsic to you know the mythology was of this a, world? Yeah, Roy was a super
2: late addition to the script. I want to say like. A few weeks before we sent it out for the first time, after two years of working on it, I saw this article about the dean of the University of Southern California Medical School at the time, who had uh, was you know at the top of his field. He was an eye surgeon, and he was found in a Pasadena hotel room with uh, I think a couple of prostitutes and a bunch of drugs. And it broke up in this entire scandal where he was living this double life. So it seemed like a really cool, or not cool, but an interesting character, like an absurd an absurd way yeah. to live a life. And that's kind of where the duality of Roy came in. Um, we were like, what if we stuck this, we knew we were missing something. I should say also in the script, like kind of just a, a B story or something to cut away to the fun and games of the second act, you know, and um and just thinking about raising Arizona and the apocalyptic biker. Um, th- that was the thing in my mind, you know, it was like, we need something, we need something bizarre to cut back to or some kind of propulsive energy. And so, The arrow, which to me in a movie full of twists, Niles getting hit with the arrow is like the biggest twist in the in the (laughs) film. That came fairly late, and you know the the scene, the thesis of the movie too, out in the backyard in um, in Irvine. You got to find your Irvine. That was that was a fairly late addition as well. So it just I don't know. It was um, after doing a lot of legwork. It was kind of the icing on the cake that Roy character and JK Andy knew because JK played his father in a movie called I Love You Man which is super funny. And they had a relationship. And um, I think that helped when we went to him with the script. Um, it was
0: such a boon to the movie to get J.K. Simmons in there. He was amazing. It, it It's always so striking to me that something that can feel so perfectly conceived, like a, in, an intricate clockwork where every kind of thing connects to one another. And if any one piece was missing, it, it wouldn't work nearly as well. You know, the addition of Roy feels so fundamental to bringing yeah. out bringing out the concept of the movie you know the the way that being stuck in this time loop can really mess with a person's head uh but also the themes like you're talking about that like he actually becomes the mouthpiece for finding your Irvine in in that way do, you, do you, is that part of your philosophy to keep sort of plussing the project right through to the finish line? Did you have similar discoveries in editorial where you're like, well, let's, how do, how do we make this better? Like how are we kind of continuing to improve this? Or like once you got that final piece slotted into place in the script, were you pretty much kind of on a clear path from that point forward? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never done, you know,
2: there's always work to do. There's always ways to make it better. And even with a script that was pretty hard to, to tweak because of what you're saying with the logic of of the time loop and the world we were always you know on the day trying alts and you know a lot of nana's moments in the movies uh in the movie are alts that that made it in the the mid seat, the mid credits tag is an alt that we picked up with jk you have these great actors that you want to get as much as possible even if it, if these moments aren't scripted you know um so you're always i'm always being greedy when i'm making
0: stuff you want to you want to make sure it's good and you also want to give yourself options in the edit we haven't talked about the actual shooting process like how many days was the shoot like how much time did you have to experiment and shoot those alts we had we didn't have any time we had 21 days 22 days wow. i think but like we got yeah we
2: one day was spent driving out to actual Joshua tree where the movie takes place out by Palm Springs the rest of it was shot in Santa Clarita in um, Aqua Jewel Che, out here in Southern California, but yeah, it was it was not a lot of time. There were crazy days, but it was a tribute to everybody on the team that they kind of understood what we were going for and were able to protect the the special sauce, the tone, and and the and, and the creative DNA. And, and all the actors came ready, knowing that it was going to be kind of a a batched experience. And I, in a way, I think that kind of helped us too. You know, you don't you don't have time to to overthink things you just throw yourself into it and you you try to have fun and get good stuff
0: can i I just see clarity on one thing you said most of the movies shot in santa clarita i'm sure that's yeah logistically much easier than housing everyone out in palm springs but how many days did you say you were actually in palm springs for probably half a day what half a day you're only there The,
2: the only location out in 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 palm springs uh is and it's actually not even palm springs it's yucca valley it's joshua tree which is kind of up the road there is niles's safe house wow um, with with a smaller pool where they go um to to waste some time and where they end up at the end of the movie that's the only
0: location out in palm springs well done sir you thank you you pulled the wool over my eyes and, and everyone else's i would say that's uh a, a good job a job well done so like this where is this that we're seeing on screen now like these desert sequences with the cave is this Santa this, Florida is, this well? is out
2: in palm palmdale at a great movie ranch called blaney ranch and this is you know um where the cave is set but the cave itself is actually in um franklin um or sorry in bronson bronson canyon um the bronson cave out in uh, griffith park here in
0: los angeles so oh, we wow. kind of had to sell
2: Movie we stitched them together.
0: Yeah, exactly. Were there any additions done to the cave, like in terms of accentuating the cave mouth with set pieces or anything like that? Or is it all just as it was, as it was found?
2: We couldn't do for for a second, we were talking about maybe adding some some actual glow worms, some like bioluminescent worms that that glowed on the walls, but we weren't allowed to touch the cave at all um by the park ranger so that cave it's the bat cave that used, was used for the original batman tv show actually well holy um, shit and we you know jason casvarde our great production designer he did a really good job dressing the all the the dirt um in the ground in front of the cave to kind of match this landscape but yeah we couldn't really touch it at all we just got really really lucky actually it was kind of our only option to be honest it's harder than you would imagine to find a cave like that. There was a moment we were talking about building it too, but, you know, we just, um, we went with Bronson Cave and Jason, our production designer, actually shot or worked on um, Swiss Army Man, which is a great film. And that was a cave they used in that movie too. So if you ever want to shoot at Bronson Cave, uh, get Jason Casvarde on your team because he's he's the man.
0: Just don't plan on touching the walls, apparently. Yeah, very very sensitive rocks, uh, uh, this, this particular cave um the 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 aesthetic of the portal uh, where did that come from you know this idea of the red glow and all of that was that you know an extensive concept arting process where you're like this is all we can afford stick a light down the end of a tunnel and let's go baby yeah it was kind of like you
2: know i think the less you see the better for the budget that we were working at and the more mysterious as well especially if you could hold off till the end to really get your your money shot but that glow was was in there you know from the get-go and orange is a very important um color in the movie it's the color of the glow in the cave it's the color of the tent out in the desert when they're on mushrooms the campfire has an orange glow that uh, washes them in orange when they're kind of connecting and falling in love and seeing dinosaurs um it symbolizes love so we knew that that was going to be something that we could um control on our scale the color control and really like give, give a some semblance of meaning um, to a color scheme. But um, yeah, it was, it was something that, like I said, the development of the script took a while it was something I'd been thinking about and um,
0: yeah. Oh, it turned out great. You know, for all of the thematic reasons that you mentioned and actually just the, the visceral impact it has when you first see it, you know, like it starts off as kind of unsettling and uh dangerous you know and then by the end it's a warm embrace um it's it's kind of perfect Uh, it's one of you know uh, a number of kind of really deftly done vfx elements in this movie right the the kind of most notable would be the giant dinosaurs that come up later but i'm sure there are other sort of seamless vfx bits and pieces you needed to do like uh, what other vfx magic are you working on in this movie
2: we had so many I don't even know if they were mosquitoes. They were like mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds. The desert is very unforgiving and there's huge bugs out there, I guess. But you know, a lot of the, the VFX work was done removing <laughs> crazy bugs that were flying around on the uh, on the dance floor at the wedding location. That was a big one.
0: Oh man. Um, That's what every director wants. They yeah. have money going to mosquito removal.
2: It's that it was honestly that kind of stuff. You're like, oh boy, I hope we have I hope
0: we could make our dinosaurs. yeah i hope we can still afford those dinosaurs after we paint out all these mosquitoes exactly the the sort of like um the what we're seeing on screen here with with andy waking up in bed time and again it becomes a real punctuation point in the in the way the story's told and the way that it's cut that's so beautifully done the the shorthand that you get with the the voiceover from Misty saying "Wake up" and stuff like that, were there references for that kind of editorial style that you were leaning into from other movies? When I think of when I think of macro shots of eyes, it's always like "Requiem for a Dream" and
2: like the music video style that Ernossky used. So I think that's where that came from um, initially, at least. And and just that's one of the things that was fun with this movie. It was almost like an omnibus movie with like different little. Um, shorts that all represented days within it and you know with the wake up as kind of the connective tissue. So we knew we were going to be jumping around and playing with flashes. Um, but yeah, I'd say like in my mind it was always rocking for dream <laughs> with, the, with the macro eye shot. And then just like you you throw an audience into a movie without necessarily explaining what's going on, I was really excited by the idea of having to do less and less with those wake up moments as the movie progressed, because you're aware of what the language is, you know, it's kind of, if we were doing our job, uh, we would feel like the audience was engaged and kind of had learned the language of the movie.
0: What's what was the biggest sort of point of nervousness for you going into making your first film? You know, you're tackling so much with this, like getting a concept across, getting genuine chemistry between actors. You've got stunts and things like that. We just saw on screen with a head on collision between our protagonists and an oncoming semi like, was it striking getting the tone just right? Was it making your days? Like, what were you worried about going into making this movie? And how do you feel about it now that it's done? It was definitely making the days because even, even on our days, like, I mean, I don't think we
2: ever had like a full 12 hour day, you know, we just couldn't afford to, to do it at all. Um, so it was on a practical level, making your days and then tone always, you know, and that's why you just shoot, you shoot different versions of scenes to cover, cover yourself for the edit, but within the tone as well, just making sure that the emotional story of the movie tracked, you know, these two people, pulling their head out of their own asses, so to speak, you know, to truly connect and come together um, and choosing love and finding purpose in caring and meaning. Um, so with all the craziness within the film, making sure that the real human element was, uh, was always kind of at play.
0: It's such a masterclass in tone, this movie, you know, like because it is all heightened But it is all real as well. You know what I mean? Like we can invest in and care about these characters and their struggles feel real, their pain feels real and recognizable and something that we can connect to as an audience. But at the same time, you know, it is all elevated for the sake of comedy. Was that something that you did kind of have to calibrate in the edit or is this just you? Like this is the way that you think and you're, the movies that you want to make exist in this space and like you can't help but make a movie like this or was it something that you really had to fine tune? I think you always... I mean,
2: it, it's it's pretty... I try not to think about it too. Tone is so hard <laughs> yes, to explain, good. right? But I, and it's honestly just the way I, I see the world, you know? Like it, I always... I think it's actually the, the title of a Jonathan Demme short documentary about the AIDS crisis that came out when he did Philadelphia, but it's called, I like to think about it as having one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. And like those two <laughs> things, that's kind of what, what I'm after, you know, and if you could have relatable human drama at the core of that to kind of tether you to some semblance of reality, you know, like a grounded story in a heightened world, that's um, that's that's good. But I, you obviously are always tinkering with moments because it's such a high wire act, and you you never just you never want to bore people, so you're always playing with you know, what's poignant, what's funny, um, what beat do we really need to hit here? But you know, tonally you just try to play the, the reality of the situation um, moment to moment and um and try different things you know it's like i can't really explain it it's definitely just kind of the stuff the kind of oh stuff to I be clear
0: and, there's nothing i hate yeah. more than when somebody asks me about tone so i but uh, it's but weird because yeah, it I is don't... this mystery that's out there and it is so hard to define but you know I, I do like the one foot in the grave one foot on the banana peel as kind of an evocative phrase that can kind of carry you through the process of making something like this when you're making choices about you know, at the performance and how heightened it may or may not be and the cinematography and the editorial choices and stuff like that. Like, um, however you did it, you really well and truly did it because I think, you know, that's a big part of the magic of this. Like, it's obviously... Uh, a great concept it's obviously got a great cast giving great performances but it's an experience watching this movie like you know i can i can think back on seeing it for the first time and i can remember how it made me feel and i think that that's as much as anything a celebration of tone in addition to the story so kudos sir um thank you thank you so much i am interested in that editorial process where some of that is uncovered of course but also just any changes that may have happened like did you test the movie uh, at all were there uh, was there a cut that was four hours long that you wish you could have released the barbecue cut um i don't i don't know about that um
2: <laughs> you see tarantino i guess had or like Margot robbie said there was like a 20 hour i don't know if that was an exaggeration but like a 20 hour cut of uh once upon a time in hollywood or something I, I like that I think that's there tarantino's
0: was... preference to just pull everybody into his world for as long as possible uh, ex- exactly we didn't have anything
2: like that i think our, our first assembly was like two or you know the first time i got through it it was like maybe 2 hours 20 minutes but you um you you really it, it was kind of a constant i think what changed in the edit we had a different opening to the movie oh really different as scripted and then we shot a, bu- a bunch of different endings too so i think both things are different but other than that there well, were were moments though. that we found with actors <laughs> they are moments that we found this is andy's real butt by the way right here
0: <laughs> it's the real
2: andy sandberg we shot with a stunt double too but didn't have the the, the right touch for the didn't moment didn't have the right um, bounce audiences can tell yeah no the, the 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 initial um the initial i'm sorry i'm just watching this roy torture sequence literally There's, getting
0: lost in uh, jk simmons's eyes
2: exactly in the fire in his eyes our art department did a great job coming up with a bunch of different alts for those torture scenes too, which is fun to see that list. Um,
0: I'm not going to let you get off uh, talking about alt openings and endings. We will come back to that, but I do want to ask about those sort of like quick montage flashes that we saw there on a 21 day schedule. How do you get that done? Like that happens a lot throughout the movie. There's times where we just see quick glimpses of other things. Did you do like a small second unit, crew of five people just to pick up some shots in the desert here and there sort of stuff like how are you getting the volume of material that you need to make those montages work
2: um we just were we were just shooting so much (laughs) so much you know like that we had second unit for some of the driving stuff um but that's the only thing that second unit really did you know and some of the dart throwing but other than that that's like the only stuff i could remember we picked up with a second unit. It was, you know, Q our DP was always rolling on landscapes in between shots. So we got a lot of good connective tissue and, 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 um, world building in in that sense. But it was the beauty of this movie is that you have a a packed schedule. So you're doing really talky poignant scenes or, you know, action set pieces. And then you look and you have an eighth of a page and you have to go in the other room and and uh, do a romantic kiss between Peter Gallagher and Andy Samberg, you know, it just was, <laughs> it was jumping all over the place. We just really got our, our bang for the buck with locations and we're always, you know, or, you know, anal sex in, in, in the room too. Like it, it, it is, uh, you do, we're doing all kinds of stuff every day, you know, you're just really it was it was a well scheduled movie by the production department.
0: That is the blessing and the curse of a time loop movie like this, right? Is that you can probably tightly schedule stuff. You know, we go back to the wedding yeah. six, seven, eight, nine times. I assume you shoot all that stuff back to back. Never mind the fact that, you know, the characters have been on enormous journeys between one scene to the next in that location. Is that how you did it? Like you just kind of put these things one thing after another, and like how many days were you shooting the wedding, for instance, if you can remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we, we block
2: shot every location, you know? So we shot out every moment in every location. The first day of the shoot I remember was all of Kristen's wake up stuff. So for, you know, half a day or more, we were in that room just doing every single time Sarah wakes up in the movie. Um, And Kristen liked to joke that she had all her notes on her script, trying to keep track of, you know, where she was as the character. She was like John Nash in a beautiful mind or something like that. So every, you know, everybody came really prepared, but it, I will say we're never seeing the same moment um, or different moments the same way. You know, each moment is shot differently, even if it's the same moment depending on what the characters are feeling emotionally. Yeah. So that kept it kind of alive. And I knew that's something we wanted to do with this as a time loop movie. It's not like we're just recycling moments. Everything is kind of intricately designed um, to kind of, you wanted. I wanted to photograph the subtext of like what the characters were feeling, even if they weren't letting on their emotions. Um but with the wedding i think that we shot that between the first and the second week for like maybe four
0: days or something like that all the wedding stuff which is pretty insane wow uh that's uh that is a tight schedule sir um the I do love that thing that you do with the wake up moments being like an intimate opportunity to sort of see how the characters are feeling, like almost like a voiceover on whatever scene preceded it. We kind of get that greater sense of what's going on in their heads because it's such a private moment. But it it comes at sort of like a rhythmic pace within the edit, like it it really is a sort of structural heartbeat of the the story in a really smart way. And I and hearing about how you filmed it it's a testimony to how incredible your actors were were, and how committed they were to have those notes because it is seamless you know like it does feel like each of those wake-ups are con- connected to what's preceded them you know in, in a very meaningful and direct way it's not just like Kristen we're going to shoot you six times waking up and then we'll work it out in the edit like which one goes where like you can really feel the nuance in the performance and the connective tissue from from A to B so you know. Hats off to you and to your cast. But you didn't get away with it. I, I did keep <laughs> We are circling back to alternate openings and alternate endings. Can you tell us about what they were?
2: Yeah, as scripted, the movie began um, kind of in a little bit of a nod to Inside Lewin Davis, which in that first um, part of development on the script, we were very inspired by um, just as kind of like an existential, um, circuitous, narrative you um, we, we we open in the bar so and we we also open instead of a goat music plays you open in the desert and a tortoise is walking and an earthquake happens and the tortoise falls into the crack and then you cut to the bar Niles jolts up like he does at the end of the movie has this conversation with Darla and is thrown and, and Ted and is thrown out of the bar and then walks through the desert to the wedding into the wedding and gives his speech and the movie progresses. And you actually shot it that way. That was what was scripted. That's what was scripted. And we shot that scene because it happens again at the end of the movie. We just shot it in a different way from a different perspective uh, for it to play at the beginning of the movie. Um, But in testing the film, we kind of realized that it was confusing to people because you didn't know who this guy was. I mean, you didn't know who the guy was, when he's giving giving the speech at the wedding, but you really didn't know who he was if you don't have that scene with Misty before and you know kind of what kind of wedding this is or what kind of people are gonna be at the wedding or yeah. what his um, own and emotional turmoil is. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's something we messed around with. And then the the ending we shot, You know, I think maybe seven different alt endings in the pool there. Um, as scripted, it was a long rant by Niles that is then interrupted by Sarah. Um, which kind of is a nice summation of of the movie and kind of the, the journey that they've gone on. Niles willingly shuts up at that point um, yeah. after giving so many speeches. Um, but to us, I mean, you know, I think the movie effectively ends and we did test this and it, it just didn't feel right. It ends when they walk in the cave together, you know, and they make that choice. Um, after that, it's, you just want to kind of send people out with a smile and also head yeah. scratcher. The two things that were always there in, in the ending were, them walking in the cave and dinosaurs on the horizon. Around those moments, we uh, tried a lot
0: of different things. The dinosaurs on the horizon, like I, I feel like there's there's more going on there than meets the eye. This is like your personal agenda to I don't know campaign <laughs> to, camp- to, to fuck with people. <laughs> well, you just want to direct a Jurassic Park movie, and I don't begrudge you for it. <laughs> so that's that's genius. But where did the dinosaurs come from, and and what do they mean to you?
2: Um. They, they, those were, you know, the movie started in development as just two buddies trying to put everything they ever wanted to see in a movie, in a movie and then reverse engineering moments. And so like, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that we managed to have make sense through working it. I think the dinosaurs on the horizon. I know, I know we wanted dinosaurs in the movie. Again, it was something that we were like, maybe we only have one chance to make a movie. So let's put everything that we ever wanted to see in one in there. And Andy, especially loves uh, Jurassic Park, Andy Ciara, and those were in there, but um, on the horizon. But for me, it's one of those things where you have at that moment kind of two people who think that they're incapable of love, learning to connect. Love for them is kind of as improbable as seeing those prehistoric creatures on the horizon. So that's kind of what they, how we... (laughs) um, how we made sense of that choice to have them there. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, buy it. I will I say buy they're us. not, they're not hallucinations either. You know, I, I don't know if it's yeah, possible for dude, two people on mushrooms. To, uh, yeah. To uh, be hallucinating the same thing. But, um, it also is nice because it suggested some um, rupture in the in the space time continuum, you know, like it's uh, there's a lot of things going on, but I think they make emotional sense and that music cue there really helps us out too. Um, so I, I love that moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it it you, it takes no convincing, you know, to get me across <laughs> the line with that. I it absolutely does make it an emotional logic, but it's always nice to to hear the journey to how they ended up on screen. Can you tell us a little bit more about the? the supporting characters. I mean, you had to fill an entire wedding and all of those people needed to shine in the moments you needed them to shine. Like this guy we're seeing on screen now. This
2: man, Connor O'Malley is a national treasure. He (laughs) has, he, oh man, he, he, it was his idea to have him wear a shirt in that, (laughs) in that scene too, which is just so perfect. That's the kind of comedic brilliance that Connor provides, but from Connor O'Malley to, Jenna Friedman, who plays Daisy the bartender, who's a great stand-up comedian, who also like wrote Borat 2. Wow. To to June Squibb, Oscar nominee June Squibb and legend June Squibb, you know, to to Peter Gallagher. It's part of the fun of the movie was the the ensemble nature of it. At its core, it's this two-hander, right? But um, before that, you get to play around with a lot of different actors. And we had a great casting director named Allison Jones, who's known for putting together legendary ensembles you know from freaks and geeks um on to, to bridesmaids um and she had great ideas and we all just kind of locked arms and put together lists and what's great about these small roles is that they become memorable when you have great actors who come in and bring bring something to it and come with ideas and that was always the case meredith hagner too as a huge fan of hers on search party which i think is a great show
0: um how many of those so supporting fun. cast members are, are are auditioning versus just being offered because you're familiar with their work and you know they're perfect for it? Um, I'd say it was about half
2: and half, you know? Like with with Connor, I think it was a thing where it was just like, come and do this, you know? And he had worked with Akiva, one of our producers, on the Tim Robinson show. Um, Jenna Friedman, similarly. Peter Gallagher, you know, is going to, be great so you, you do that Tala that role is a little more involved so Camila Mendez read for that um, and was great um, so probably half and
0: half as we're talking now we're seeing this the campfire scene uh, with our two leads out in the desert uh, how many mosquitoes have been digitally removed from this scene? <laughs> this one was a little later in the shoot and I think it was a little bit like higher in the
2: desert so not too many but this is there's like I mean, I'm surprised we got audio on this scene, too. That's another thing. The elements were such a pain in the ass on this movie, obviously, because you're shooting in the desert. But this scene and the we actually shot this scene. We started one night and it, we got rained out and came back the next night, um, which oh. kind of behooved us at the end of the day. they had, they had Even when they did it, they knocked it out of the park the first time. But it's always nice to just find yourself a little pocket to really spend time on an important moment and this the scene is the you know it's the heart of the movie here
0: if we can get into the nitty-gritty of shooting a scene like this like uh, how do you how do you approach it would you shoot two cameras and do cross coverage or are you uh do you do long takes can you give us a little bit of the first-hand perspective of like the craft of directing something like this when it comes to the really logistical pragmatic non-airy fairy stuff like where are you sitting yeah. are you sitting next to the camera are you in a tent with a monitor run us through it a little bit
2: i like to be as close to the the actors as possible most of the time so I'm, I'm next to camera um sometimes i'd have a little monitor and i'd be just out of sight there um here this is at night so it was really hard to light but q our cinematographer did a great job motivating light from the campfire and this is one of i think only you know a handful of scenes that we cross shot um, in this movie. And it was really important because it's super intimate. We wanted to get both sides of these performances to, to have them and really let the, the actors play off, um, one another. So we, we cross shot this scene. Um, and I'm trying to remember, I think we just let them definitely at the beginning, we let them go through the whole scene, you know, and they, they knew it by heart and came prepared. So, we got through it and then we would obviously go in for for certain specials, certain angles and moments that we wanted to capture. And there's a scene that's act, or a moment that's cut out of the scene, actually, that we shot on a the movie shot on the T-series anamorphic lenses um, from from Panavision, which are which are beautiful. But we used an old B-series vintage uh, lens that had kind of like a, a natural orange glow to it um, that we shot one moment of the scene with that actually got cut out. Um but that I bet your producers love that. You know, yeah, I, see like, pre-production. Nope, I need this one <laughs>
0: lens for this one yeah. shot no, and and it's f- not in vision. the
2: movie. Fan division was great. They hooked us up big time. Um but yeah this was actually the last night of the shoot. We shot this scene. Oh wow. Um, so it was it was cool. It it worked out nice that way. They really they had gone through something for real
0: together. And I think you see that when you watch it. What time are you wrapping on your last night? And then do you roll straight into an after party or is everyone just passing out somewhere? Everyone's like, like, peace, peace. Let's (laughs) let's go back to LA. Um, You've been through through something. The cast has maybe been through something, but the crew couldn't give a shit. They're like, we're we're shooting another movie tomorrow, man. See you later. Exactly. It's, um, I think we wrapped at like 3
2: a.m. Around somewhere around there. No, actually it was like, I think it was later than that because... I went and slept at a hotel, but I remember people driving back to LA told me that they were actually passing like the morning commute.
0: <laughs> like, oh man. Like on, on the way back, it's pretty dark. But uh and there they are. I the think I I think you played it well to, to crash the night out out near location. Uh what is a Lonely Island rap party like? I can only imagine. Maybe you don't want to burst the uh the, the imagination that the audience has out there for what that yeah. might be like, but I'm curious. In- you know what? I think we, I think we spent the money
2: for the rap party on a on a techno grain. So we didn't, we, we partied our our asses off at Sundance, but we didn't we didn't really have one on this one.
0: When you went into Sundance, did you have a distributor at all funding that process? Like, you know, to party your asses off, like was somebody footing that bill, or was that you pulling out your credit card? Our our financier, uh, I, I think Limelight covered that, and
2: as they did the entire movie. Um, but yeah, our financier, um, limelight, our two producers, Dylan Sellers and Chris Parker, um, financed the movie. And
0: then we went to Sundance looking for someone to buy it. Those two producers, did they come through the Lonely Island connection once you pitched it to those guys or were they a separate contact that you had? Were they already attached as producers before Lonely Island came on board? They were a separate contact that we had. Yeah. I bet they were glad they met you.
2: You know, yeah, it was, uh. It was funny because we met them before, and then they came back into the picture, and it was it was like fortuitous in that sense too. Um, and it was their first film for for their company, so quite a way to
0: to launch Limelight. Well, and your first film as well, which is crazy, yeah. you know, to to come up with something that's so inventive, so original, but so assured in the direction, you know, that doesn't look like it was shot in twenty two days uh it's really remarkable uh if you could give yourself advice before you embarked on this adventure like you know with the benefit of hindsight what would you tell yourself or or any of our listeners that are hoping to one day make their first movie i just think learn to learn to enjoy it and be present in every
2: moment as like as a director you're answering questions all day right and you're constantly at least i know i am when the camera's not rolling kind of thinking forward and trying to to plan for stuff but just like be present and really enjoy the experience it goes really fast it was a blur so i think that um that sounds cool on paper,
0: them- but don't, don't you feel like you needed to be thinking ahead to be able to be ready for what was coming next yeah. like do you think you would it's have totally. capacity to actually smell the roses in the middle like, of your 20 <laughs> 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 i mean it's um, a nice idea it would be good, but I'm, I'm genuinely interested. Do you think that you would have done it differently if you could have, or is that just always going to be the director's lament that you wish you could yeah. enjoy it more while it was happening? But inherently, it's a tough it's gig. my
2: I'll tell you next time, it's probably, you know, it's it, that might be the director's lament that might be part of the gig, but um, I, yeah, you, it really,
0: I. You'll have a shoot that's five times as long for the next one. I'm sure you can get anything you want. You'll be like, I want three additional days just so I can (laughs) smell the roses while we're making this one. Right. I support it. I think that's a great- Party time. Dance party time. Anything else beyond that kind of like that that idea of enjoy it while it's happening? Because it is a gift to get the chance to make your first movie. But is there anything else that you look back on and go, man, I wish I knew, I wish I shot more cross coverage. I wish I did have an extra camera while we were- shooting you know to pick up more landscape shots or anything like that
2: um you know i think you could always prep more always you know that's that's something that um on the next one i will i will dive into overzealously it's
0: just it's just the prep um, How did you prep this one? Cause it, I mean, it, like I said, it does feel very assured. Like you, we know where we're going to be. It doesn't feel like you're just making it up as you go along. Was it storyboarded? Do you shot list? Do you block it all out in advance or do you wait to do that with the actors?
2: It's uh, you, you kind of, we boarded with Q's kids Playmobil mobile and Legos in her living room. All the really involved, like the scene we're watching that's coming up when, so, I, mean, I guess i won't spoil it if you haven't seen it but something gnarly happens to jk simmons um we boarded all that involves like stunt sequences and then shot listed the the whole movie you know um with with overheads um mainly and then you know what you're after and obviously you're always open to what actors bring and it's all about that so you could pivot um and and make it um alive with with them
0: but yeah we we, we kind of designed the whole movie and was that something you were doing the night before the next day's filming? Or did you have enough run up to do that all before you even started shooting?
2: We did most of it before shooting. But then obviously, like, as as prep goes, you kind of fall behind and you're putting out other fires. So it, it inevitably um,
0: turned into some, some night before work. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, in terms of putting out those other fires and like solving those other problems, I want to take a second to talk about wardrobe. Not to say that it would have been a problem, but I want to know about this shirt that uh, <laughs> that Niles is wearing. This like badass, now iconic red kind of hawaiian shirt here like how many were there to choose from was that from andy's personal wardrobe and he's like this is getting in the movie no matter what or tell us about this shirt and the other looks that the characters have throughout the film i mean jk rolling up to the wedding in his hat (laughs) is another bold choice that i love uh like the tennessee williams tennessee williams like white loafers yeah
2: um colin Wilkes was our costume designer and she did a great job and um we we, like you said we we knew we needed something iconic that would be interesting in in every scene because it's the hero outfit and i think she had like i don't know like over 30 shirts that we looked at and it came down to a blue shirt and this red shirt here and i think the blue shirt was paired with some some salmon pants but this just it just felt right you know especially when um, contrasted with sarah's shirt which is uh if you look closely i mean it's 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 cooler and it's it's turquoise, but if you look closely it says uh silent um femmes on it and it kind of has her her um sunglasses as well and it's kind of a mirror image of, of what Sarah looks like. So there's like a lot of different Easter eggs when it comes to the wardrobe, a lot of circles on 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 um earrings and and boxers, donut boxers to evoke the time loop idea. Um it was super fun to play with that stuff. I when I do costume stuff, I, I really like you come with ideas you collaborate with the costume designer but i really love seeing what actors are drawn to and going to fittings and just like honestly letting them pick out what they're what they're what they're digging and then starting the conversation from there so a lot of it was that
0: please tell me that i can buy a funko pop or some sort of movie collectible with niles's like iconic red shirt has it become a (laughs) like a a merchandisable thing because i feel like it is that iconic at this point I feel like, um, I mean, Halloween was cool for
2: sure. That was a cool thing to see all the Niles and Sarahs out there. I don't know. We should get on that. We should get some. Dude. If, if George it's, Lucas, uh, it makes some money. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh,
0: it, was fan art a thing? I mean, I think I saw that you guys had a Mondo poster that came out. Uh, that was cool. That yeah, was,
2: dude. That was super cool. Matt, Maddie, Maddie Lord um, hooked it up. That That thing is really really cool um and there's been yeah there's been tons of fan art online on social it's just nice it's it was so again unexpected to see people engage with the movie in that way you know we i think we got really lucky in a year when when all the big blockbusters moved out of the summer and we kind of were able to have a moment and it's i'm just so humbled and proud that the movie meant meant something to people that <laughs> they
0: were doing art about it Do you have an office somewhere that's covered in various posters and fan art now as a shrine to this movie? I got body
2: tattoos. I got a full, full sleeve of, uh, no, I got, uh, I got got the, I got the Mondo poster, which, which I'm excited about. Um, and I have some, some clippings for sure. We got a, I got a pizza raft as well that, um, somebody (laughs) made people on the production, which is super cool. I haven't, taken that out of the box yet but it's like as seen in the motion picture
0: palm springs pizza raft and it's like that's super cool that reminds me of my youth that is cool i have to ask the question that every director gets asked and feel free to just you know say the same thing that everyone says or provide us your personal insight but how do you feel about the sort of transition that movies are going through from the theatrical experience that we probably all had growing up to the new streaming revolution like uh, as a filmmaker getting your chance to make your movie what's your take on streaming versus theatrical especially when you're sold so well to hulu i imagine you're like thank god for streaming is basically the answer yeah
2: no thank god for streaming for sure because it gives creators more opportunities to make stuff at the uh, you know at the same time i can't really point to it's it's hard to curate a streaming service just in the in the design of a menu like it's hard to navigate them so do yeah. do as many people know your stuff is out like it depends on on the marketing budget but you're getting to make things you know and engage in that in that process i was super excited about our deal with neon and hulu because it paired a super cool forward-thinking um company that loves films and neon you know and knew how to kind of bring stuff out into the world with a the streamer with a lot of money that was you know trying to kind of solidify and fortify their their identity um in terms of the comedy with with hulu and it, that just seemed like a very forward thinking marriage like you can't deny with with movies in television that that stuff is all going to end up on a on a streamer someday so it's about kind of giving yourself the, the biggest opportunity to make a splash, whether that's for the theatrical experience or just with a marketing budget or, or whatever it is. It's um it's definitely changing, but I think it's, uh it's nice to be a part of a, a moment in time when the form is evolving in some way. So I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. I, I shot the movie to be seen on big screens, you know, with these anamorphic lenses. So in a, in a, in a killer soundtrack and a sound mix. So that part of it, was disappointing not to see that play out, but at the same time, way more people saw it because it landed on Hulu. So it's um I, I think yet to yet to be seen. It's cool to see Scorsese, you know, doing a huge oh, yeah. Apple movie. Good enough still, for
0: Scorsese, good enough for me. Still still
2: bring in the the passion to the art for the art form in, in into that context. You know, I think you could have everything.
0: I mean, I imagine that night when the bidding war kicked off at Sundance, you had offers for a more traditional theatrical approach as well, but with Hulu and Neon just blew the others out of the water or how did that play out?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no, you you could see it every year. I feel like at Sundance, there's no real contest right now between the the money that streamers are willing to spend on acquiring stuff, even in, in terms of financing stuff and traditional outlets. So it was, that's kind of where, where we landed. Um, which was insane that it was a bit more to begin with Too looking back on it. You're just like, what? Okay. Have they
0: found out that like, this is, this is all a joke yet. <laughs> like, well, even that final 69 cents is such a great button on the joke, yeah. right? Like, oh, that's, yeah, that must've been, were you there the minute that that idea was thrown out? Like. That was, that was Hulu's idea. No way. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ah, um,
2: was that was, say. that was a key. That was a Kiva Schaefer's idea. Um, I think, I can't remember if I was there or not. I remember I was definitely in the in the corner of the room uh, <laughs> during the pitches and, and um, you know, the presentations from various buyers and just pinching myself and just laughing because it was so, such a treat, <laughs> such a treat to be taken seriously with this film.
0: And do you have an instinct for where you'll go next? You know, be it theatrical, be it streaming or even just the subject matter of the next movie? Do you have the, the plan laid out?
2: yeah, you know, I try not to think too much, um, about it. I kind of, I always like, like this one came so much from the gut, you know, and from the heart. And I always, I'm just kind of, I always want to be doing something different and challenging myself on project to project. Um, I don't, the next movie I'm going to do is a, is a comedy. It's a, it's a comedy about a family, but it's, it's a super dark comedy. You know, it's like Palm Springs. There's, there's, uh, multitudes going on it has it has put substantive in the grave, questions put on a banana peel exactly substantive questions um on its mind um but i just always want to i, I kind of work to stay interested you know and work to um to better understand myself and the crazy confusing world that we live in so it's um
0: i i i, I don't know while we were talking there uh, abe aka superman just got stabbed in the face with a fork uh can, can you tell us uh, how that played out because actually you know sometimes the i mean it sounds strange to say the simplest of things it's not really that simple sticking a fork in someone's face but i imagine that's very complicated to really get it locked in there like it was when he's moving his head around it really looks embedded in there uh but you can't exactly go on adding structural supports around the face to to keep it stuck on because then you've got to put the skin back in in cg or something like that but now you're probably going to tell me yeah we just glued it and it was fine but i want to I, i'm interested Gal- he pulled it off our makeup maven was galaxy
2: san juan who did a great job and she like the the penis tattoos earlier in the movie were improvised on a whim it was a Kristen that uh, or an idea that andy and Kristen had um and, and galaxy conspired with them to make that happen on a whim you know and so she was game again, there was no time on this movie. I think there was an option for Tyler to get the the fork stuck in his face that would take like two hours and one that was like 15 minutes. And we're like, well, we don't have two hours. So it's like, we're going to do the 15 minute one. And she did a great job, you know, but there was definitely um, cleanup to be done in the VFX
0: with that, you know. How um, did you it, do it? So glue the end and maybe fishing wire or something off the end of the fork to keep it kind of pointed up and then you paint out the fishing wire or like what? It, did- no,
2: it was, it was was it was like cemented to his face that is some it was just serious straight, yeah and it was
0: it was some like fake fake skin you know like some 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 right. putty on his
2: face right there yeah
0: ah seamless man, seamless yeah uh, and as we move from the wedding where people are getting stabbed in the fork to visit roy in irvine uh i want to ask about irvine is this actually irvine where where did you film this part of the movie
2: this is palmdale
0: like uh palmdale california like much of the rest movie wow yeah, that's right. You're not moving around as much as possible. You want to keep everything condensed.
2: Yeah, and this day was insane. You could see the wind in the in the scene, but we were shooting in like what was it, 40 mile an hour winds at some point. And it's a it's a miracle that we got usable audio here. But looking back on it, it's it's kind of it adds a nice element, I think, to the It moment. really
0: does actually. I, you know, it didn't even occur to me, you know, about the difficulty of recording, but I did clock the wind in watching the the scene because it does add to that sort of like feeling of serenity and tranquility to hear the the wind blowing through the leaves of these plants and stuff but i'm sure it wasn't quite so tranquil on the day no it was just kind of like oh is
2: this even working are we getting this and then of course you watch you watch dailies and you're like oh my god these people are geniuses there's
0: there's little little jelly with the dog shit. <laughs> is that, is that a discovery on the day or is that something that you guys put in the script?
2: I had a very, um, I am, I am adopted. And the only time I've met my birth father, I went over to his house when I was about 15 and was sitting in the backyard having a conversation with him. And he had a few small children at that point And one of them was running around watering dog shit. So I was having this very, uh, kind of intimate emotional conversation with my birth father and this kid was in the background watering dog shit um with you know, that kid didn't have pants on this kid we had to have clothes uh, for obvious reasons but that's where that came from it's like oh that's pretty
0: funny that's yeah. that's very very ironic we'll put that in a movie some someday i mean that makes me want to ask a question about the relationship between you and and andy the writer like how does that work i mean i think. You're credited with the story, but the script is yeah. credited to Andy. So did you write a full outline for that initial vision for the project and then hand it off to Andy? Or are you kind of weighing in throughout the whole process of writing the script? Uh, I'm interested. Do you guys sit around together and he's on the keys typing it up?
2: We sat around together, kind of figured out a general approach. The characters spent a lot of time on, on Niles and Sarah. Um, he would go off and write, not like he would disappear, but he would send me like as he was writing snapshots of stuff and ask for idea- you know, ask for ideas or impressions um if he was going down the right approach um, and then he'd send me a draft, I'd read it, we'd get, get back in a room, talk about it more um at a certain point at certain stages, throw it up on a on a screen, and we'd be on the keys polishing it, you know, um but that's it was a very organic process, you know,
0: and you met Andy at film school, yeah. How did that play out? Were you paired together on a project? Did you seek each other out? Because everyone else's movies sucked, but yours were the only two good movies, in your opinion. No, the first day uh, at AFI,
2: they put you all in an auditorium and you have to watch each other's work for six hours and kind of get to know each other. And the goal is they are going to pair up into teams and make short films um, that, that first semester. And I knew... I was a directing fellow there. Andy was a screenwriting fellow and the screenwriting fellows had sent out treatments for short films um, before school had started. So I knew that I liked his treatment. It was the only one that I liked and that we shared a sensibility. So that entire day I remember sitting in that auditorium trying to figure out who this guy was. And he had this other, there was this other producing fellow at AFI who looked kind of like Andy. So I remember having a conversation with that guy thinking it was Andy, but that guy was French and it was very confusing. Um, but ultimately we met up at a bar at the end of that day and just started not even talking about a short film we wanted to make, but just kind of life and discovered that we had a lot of things in common. We're both little brothers. I think our mothers are very similar. We both like the same kind of music. Um, and we really bonded over, uh, that show Eastbound and Down with, with Danny McBride and how that can make you laugh really hard and cry and feel things in the same breath and that it was yeah. so twisted and, you know deplorable seeming characters that you still wanted to root for and use their toxicity as a defense mechanism, all that stuff. So we kind of, kind of just hit it off and made a short together um, in our thesis together as well. And then as I described at the end of school, decided we wanted to go out into the world and try to make a
0: feature. Uh, Not to get too far from Palm Springs, but can I ask, uh, what were the shorts about?
2: The first short um, was about a kid Going to look for his father at a dive bar um, down in the panhandle during a hurricane and just kind of a, I don't know, like a, a story about self discovery um, in a CD in a dive bar. It was called Merrymaker. And then our thesis film was called The Duke, based on the memoir I'm the Duke by JP Duke. And it was about a uh, football player, a concussed football player, um, trying to get back on the field during super bowl sunday thinking that he is still ready to go play the game but quite debilitated and uh, stuck in suburbia and those are
0: both dark comedies how important were the shorts you think to getting this movie up Were people with financiers or the lonely island guys asking to see those shorts i know you have a doco as well Uh, Yeah. But like, were people looking at your past work to determine whether you could do this? Or was it entirely about the script? And man, when this guy gets in a room, he has a vision (laughs) for this project, and he can convince us that, you know, he's, he's up to the task.
2: I think they knew, I think they had seen my short, but the shorts weren't really samples for this, you know, so I think they, they saw there was like intentionality behind them, and that I was after certain things, and that I was interested in a blended tone, you know, um, but I, I have to say, I think it just was the fact that, you know, we had been working on the script and I, I knew what I wanted to do with it, that, that sold people.
0: Yeah. A man with a plan and exactly. a solid vision. I have to ask, uh, we just saw the goat, uh, <laughs> pl- sacrifice itself in the name of science. Where is this goat now? Uh, do, do we know if the goat is still with us? The goat
2: no, I will say no goats were harmed in the making of Palm Springs. <laughs> of that, I am sure. I don't know if whether it's in this dimension or not. I cannot say.
0: Um, Have you but- had many online fan theories where people are kind of like, I, watching the film again in preparation for this, I was suddenly thinking, oh, is Nana in the time loop as well? I can't I <laughs> on the first go around, but I was like, oh, she seems very knowledgeable and wise. And it was quite a sweet moment, interpreting it that way, that there was a, another kind of, Way to experience this time loop thing, but uh, but th- that could just be my own crazy theory. And I'm interested to know, like, are there other ones? Have you swung by Reddit.com slash r slash Palm Springs to see if uh, people have cracked the code at the center of this?
2: There's a there's a lot of fun theories. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I did when the movie came out. It was quite quite fun to see the reads that people had on it. But it was um that was kind of our goal with the movie, right? Is to is to leave people thinking about what they just saw, not in a way that was confusing, but in a way that was compelling. Um, and the goat it's funny because, like I said, the goat didn't open the movie originally. That was a a find in the edit as well. But um, I'm glad that that we put it there because it it definitely. And we shot an alt ending with the goat as well and a turtle. There's there's a lot of a lot of things we were trying out. Um, as to Nana, I cannot confirm or deny if, if she's been in the in the loop or not all i know is june Squibb is probably the, the one to ask about that interesting
0: all right all right there you go more more fodder for the theorists to write about and <laughs> it. i mean I, I, I think i can imagine the answer to this but would you ever make a sequel is there is there more stories to be told about these characters and where they might have headed next
2: i think so if we come up with a good idea you know i think i think like this movie was so fueled by life experience, you know, and questions about relationships and intimacy and, and vulnerability and commitment that you are exploring in your mid twenties to late twenties to thirties or, or, or beyond. Um, It really, like I said, came straight from the gut and from the heart. So I think maybe hopefully when the world gets under control, there's more life experience to be had (laughs) Um, and something could be, stumbled upon as we live life a little more um but i you know these characters to me always seemed like real people in all their glorious messiness so i think they're definitely could be the
0: engine of another story uh i'm suddenly seeing a sort of before sunrise before sunset yeah or midnight kind of trilogy here where they you jump forward and they've been married for 30 years and trying to work out how to survive that part of life uh that was not like the answer that. I expected, but I I am excited and hopeful that there might be more to this because I think you're right. They're such compelling characters, and you're right that it's it's commenting on a point in a person's life that's very relatable. You know, like they're trying to find yourself and work out, I, am I worthy of love? Can I make a relationship work? And can I make a marriage work? In some ways, you know, at the end of the thing, you you talked about the two of them sort of feeling like they're at the altar by the way that they're framed but the other part of that is that leap into the unknown you know like that andy says it or somebody says it at the end you know what if we get sick of each other like we already Mm -hmm. are sick of each other like these are the the questions you ask yourself before getting married so i think you know uh, that part of it is is so beautiful and connected to a recognizable life i think there are other parts of a recognizable life that you could explore with a with a franchise and then you can really ramp up the merchandising machine for this (laughs) there we go Dude, there didn't. we go. More posters, more Funko toys. Um, <laughs> while we've been talking about where the story might go next uh, on screen, we've been seeing the the characters kind of cracking the code on how they might be able to escape the time loop. Was this something that you were nervous about? I know you you mentioned earlier on that it was kind of a note that came from the Lonely Island guys to to turn the story in this direction. But everybody's always a little bit afraid of expositional scenes and drawing diagrams yeah. and stuff like that uh can you run us through your headspace in approaching this and and filming it too
1: and maybe shooting
0: a, it editing it and testing it because i imagine like carrying the yeah. through this stuff is, is can be tricky if it's not done as seamlessly as it ultimately is
2: to me this scene is really about the moment right here you know that we're, that we're watching is just two people kind of realizing um that it's probably not going to work out or just being on completely different wavelengths you know even though they want to want to be together Um, and there was actually a a huge chunk at the top of the scene that we shot. We wrote different alts for Kristen Milioti. She memorized all of them, explaining the science behind everything, you know, on the mirror. And I, in the back of my head, I always hoped that we would get to cut that out of the movie because no one would care, you know, and want to be bogged down and you'd be invested in the characters in that moment, not the logic. And we did test the movie and immediately realized yep that could go um so we, we Andy wrote some of that we shot it Kristen performed it and then yes we lost we lost that because yeah. it's really not about that at that point you know
0: yeah so long as the characters know the audience trust that it makes sense and they'll come with exactly. us you know? uh, and you can then pivot and focus on that sort of heartbreaking exchange where she says you know uh, I'm asking you to come and he says I'm not coming and I'm asking you to stay that's just so beautifully tragic and such a a perfect encapsulation in in short and sharp dialogue. I'm reminded too of the the final exchange standing at the cave mouth where you get that great rom-com speech from Andy. Like it feels like every movie needs to have one. Uh, Every love story needs to have one to have the audience kind of on the edge of their seat or punching the, the air or putting their arm around their partner or whatever, but they're so hard to get right. Was that a bit like the Kristen, uh, science speech did you have 5 or 6 different versions of what that speech might be focused on before you landed on the one that you did cuz you know it, it turned out perfectly
2: we had one there was one version of that speech but i think it was like the last thing uh during the pass of the script that we did with the lonely island that we were really working on and going kind of all chipping in on and going back and forth about with with Akiva and Andy and Andy and myself and just trying to get right you know that the movie all boils down to that right there um and that 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 couplet you know what if we get sick of each other and we already are sick of each other it's the best that's that's pure Andy Ciara that's just you know that's that's the movie
0: right there but uh, the the sort of run-on sentence is brilliant yeah as well. em- emphatic period being uh, such a great line too that was all in the script from de- day dot or was that something that you found through the process of workshopping
2: that was through that. That was like in the rewrite with the, with the Lonely Island guys. Yeah. But all that was scripted.
0: I, I love like um the sort of follow-up after a line like that, you know, he says emphatic period period, and it's such a great movie line. And then uh, Sarah has a couple of kind of like commentary lines in response yeah. to that. Like that's terrible. Like an emphatic period is just an exclamation point. And they're sort of like thrown away uh, in in the perfect way that you would want them to be but are they scripted too cuz like i feel like that that's the sort of moment that works really well on screen but on paper without the performance driving it and with that without that feeling like these are like mumbled lesser than lines the heart the crux and climax of the scene is emphatic period and the look exchange between the two of them those subsequent lines could kind of pull you out on the page and you know you could imagine somebody getting out their red pen and saying we don't need these but they're so beautiful. Like, were they in the script, and whether was there any of that sort of discussion around whether we needed follow up lines?
2: It just kind of, that came pretty naturally, just from a shared sensibility, you know. And, and Kristen, I know Ellipsis was was on the was on on the page, <laughs> you know, when she when she drops that too, dot dot dot, you know. But I, I do think, um, you know, those little asides, she definitely added a couple on the day right. on, in only the way that she. Could you know? And, yeah. and and that's something I was very um I, I really wanted to protect in this movie was you know the 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 poignant moments and then undercutting those as well in the in the, in the very same yeah breath because you want stuff that's emotional without being saccharine right and to yeah. be funny and meaningful in the same breath and there's you know Kristen's performance is such a a, a tonal high wire act and um she's so she plays every single shade of emotion that you could want so she was just she's so and so expressive obviously too so she was the perfect person to,
0: to play that kind of stuff uh while we're talking about the very end of the film not to get too far ahead of ourselves we are seeing andy in the bar kind of realizing mm-hmm. the error of his ways and, and and making the last minute dash to catch his partner before she you know the equivalent of boards a plane and leaves him behind forever yeah. you know it kind of is a fun riff on that rom-com trope uh but skinned in a wholly new and satisfying way uh and it's kind of a last chance to to sign off with these characters as well which is so so beautiful um you mentioned that uh is it Dala was somebody yeah. had, had you worked with her before or was she uh, uh something that was brought to you by the casting director because she's got such a great face and the same is true of as spuds as well you know Pugs, we really, yeah. like we kind of like run through all of these people that we've uh we've met along the way it's such a satisfying kind of experience for the audience
2: darla i hadn't worked with before but dale dickey i've seen in a bunch of stuff she's great and our cinematography uh, qtron worked with her on the the netflix series unbelievable and i was actually a suggestion from q um and i was like oh yeah obviously she's she's it that's one of those where you just offer it um and Brian Duffy, who played Spuds, right there, um, he actually was a stunt man that we cast because he rides a motorbike. Um, and he, <laughs> he killed it. He brought he, he really brought does. the pathos and the emotion right there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and here we are, finally at the cave mouth, about to send this thing off with a with a bang. The yeah. the vest that she's wearing with the explosives is that something that the costume designer cooked up like such a, <laughs> the sort of evening gown with the explosive yeah. band is its own Funko Pop waiting to happen or collectible place yeah. that, that you should be getting some money from no
2: it was scripted as a as a vest of c4 but again I think it was Kelsey and Jason and, and Colin our uh, costume designer and our art our, our director and production designer that was our, our set deck and um, our set designer and, and production designer they came up with this like you know sachet it's like a <laughs> like cross like,
0: sash or something. Yeah, right. exactly. We're just like, yeah, that's perfect. That's it for sure. How much time do you have to shoot a scene like this? You know, which really is the culmination of the the whole film. Are you shooting cross coverage, and do you have to do it in thirty minutes, or is everybody giving you, you know, a bit of space and time to get this right? This wasn't. We didn't have much time at all because this location
2: was also very restrictive and hard to deal with. Because it was a, you know, it's a it's Griffith park, it's a a public park. I don't even think we could shut it down completely. Um, so this was, I think a couple hours, maybe if that, and, um, we were not cross covering this, this was side by side or side one side and then the other side. Um, but it's one of those things with great actors, they come prepared and they know the stakes, you
0: know, and, um, they absolutely killed it. We got everything we needed and, and some. On average on a movie like this and and to suit your directorial style, how many takes would you do? Is this a a three or four take movie or a five or six take movie or a Fincher movie with (laughs) 30 takes per setup? You're in the suite
2: just time-wise and also um, just sensibility wise. It's always like three to four, you know, Um, depends on the scene too. There's a lot of talky scenes in this one, you know, with a lot of different things going on. So some of them That's more involved
0: restrained, especially with actors, this talented that I'm sure are giving you different things every time Oh my god, I wish camera. it was I wish it was way more, you know, but th- there are some scenes
2: like the, the pool, Akupara beer can barrage, you know, and and JK getting T-boned by his own cop car where you get up to like,
0: <laughs> you know, like eight or nine just because of all the different moving parts. Ah, it's. I mean, when you also factor in the alts, right, and the fact that these actors yeah. can give you d- entirely different possibilities with each take. I mean, I think that it's very restrained, but I'm sure a factor of of time. Uh, yeah, I'm sweating just thinking about it. Kind of being <laughs> on set directing these guys. You've got two hours to shoot the the climax of your movie, and you, you know you've you've only got to get three or four takes in the can before you got to move on, even though, you know, there's more gold to be mined from that, that spot. You you're never going to use all the gold, but like, uh, nice to have, if you can get it. Um, yeah, man, I think it's a, it's a real, uh, Marvel, what you've pulled off here, which is of course verified with a record sale at Sundance, probably insane viewership numbers at a Hulu. Um, yeah, I think the movie from top to bottom is a, is a real masterpiece. So, Kudos Thank to you man. as we as we head towards the credits. Is there anything else that you might like to share about the making of the this movie?
2: That's so. I'm just sorry. I'm just watching it. I haven't seen it in so long. Ah, it's it's so working, beautiful. man. It works, dude. Um, <laughs> it
0: works, man. <laughs> Look um, at that shot, man. That's that's fantastic. Old Spike Lee shot. Yeah, it's beautiful. Couple
2: on the dolly with the camera on the dolly moving together um
0: i don't think so i mean we covered it it's um you made it you made it all the way through there's only one last little spike to come right which you mentioned was the mid-credits scene with roy coming back which actually watching it again last night i'd forgotten was coming like i had the same experience twice which was like man that movie is well chef's kiss picture perfect Everything is sort of like answered for me in the way that I want it to be when those credits roll. But then the mid credit scene comes and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really glad that they did that and tied up that loose end. I didn't know that it was a loose end, like, but it probably would have occurred to me like 24 hours later or whatever um, that, oh, wait, like did Roy just get left behind stuck in the time loop? So uh, did you say that was JK's idea or that to, to come up with that bit or where did that extra mid credit scene come from? I think it was an
2: alt that, uh, Akiva suggested or Andy Sandberg, Um, and we, you know, like I said, we're, you're block shooting locations, um, or, or places within locations. And we just had that moment at the bar, um, and also him walking into the bar. So it just made sense to, to, and you have an actor like JK Simmons for a limited amount of time just to try different things, you know, yeah. and, and especially pick up moments that mirror one another or, or bookend uh, each other. So that's where that came from. And, um, on a very, very fundamental level on
0: the day you were like shooting it and no no like,
2: we knew we we right. knew going in that um we were going to pick that up I actually remember emailing JK about it and explaining to him what it was and why we wanted to get it and he just was like yeah I don't really understand that but we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it it's like you know what it means if he's out if he's not you know like what you know why we wanted to do it but uh he was so game and it was uh I'm glad we have it because you you need you need more Roy at the end yeah. of the movie. You
0: need to
2: to really close up that story.
0: Line. You also needed more dinosaurs, which we're getting a little eye full of. There yeah. we go. Dude, They're you back. did it. You did it. Um <laughs> one last question about the Roy thing. Like, uh, I suppose you're already deep in production when it's happening. So, you know, it was probably an addendum to the script on its own colored page, but did it ever exist in the flow of the script and was it written as a mid-credit scene? Like, did you know that it was gonna be in the credits? Or was it? Um, know-
2: we knew that we knew when we were doing the alt that it would be a, a mid credit scene, but it wasn't written in the script. Yeah. That way we had it. We had a We had like a long running document of alts that we wanted to get if we had time. Right. This one was obviously at the top of the list, but it was never in the in the shooting script.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, providing some of these incredible insights into the making of an incredible film. Uh, if our listeners want to find you or slash stalk you on social media, is there anywhere that they can find you on a Twitter or an Instagram or something like that?
2: What's my name on, uh, it's, it's at Max Barbaco on both Twitter and Instagram. Well, uh,
0: get, a- get at me. Tweet, yes, yes, dear listeners, follow, follow the incredible Max and his journey for where he'll be going next. I'm sure the, the next film will be Uh, even more incredible if it's possible than the one we just all watched together Uh, and certainly recording this commentary has been incredible as well so thank you so much for making the time max thank you for having me grant this was so
1: fun cheers thanks mate oh well thank you max and thank you grant I got my answer on the dinosaurs, but I feel like I'm still left hanging on the Nana question.
0: I Look, I asked the question, you know, the guy just wants a bit of mystery around Nana, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, sometimes it is better to leave a little bit of mystery in their life, but now I'm just going to have to tease that one out from the universe. Well, it, you know, it leaves people something to talk about,
0: which is exactly what I think we should do. We should ask the listeners, you know, jump on our Instagram, tell us, is Nana in the loop? Is she out of the loop? What's going on? I need I need more truth bombs from the people on the internet. Fan theories abound. Where, where do you come down in the Nana debate, Dave? Is she in the loop or out? Nana's in the loop. Nana's in the loop. I feel like Nana's in the loop. She seemed yeah. very wise, yeah. very knowing. She's, lived, going on she's with living Nana. her
1: best retirement life home in the loop. Yeah, it's a it's a good way to
0: it's a good way to rattle off the end of your days and yeah, get yeah. a lot of end of your days. Um, well,
1: that is it, Dave. That is our show. Thank you to Max and thank you to anyone who's listening. Until next week, you can find me on Instagram at is Dave, And I am at Grantsbuttore. The show has its own Instagram at The Commentary Cast. Feel free to stop by, drop us a comment or suggest other films we should feature. Leave your fan theories. Yeah,
0: tell us about Nana. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to take a moment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you download your quality podcasts. Oh, and feel free to drop us a review. It really helps. And look, here, yeah, extra special shout out. This, I'm, I'm, you know, We don't just say the same crap off a script at the end of every episode. We speak from the heart. And my message today is we see the statistics. We know you're out there. We know you're listening. But you're not talking to us on the Instagram. Get on there. Tell us about Nana. We want to know. Tell us what you're liking about the show. Tell us that Dave really needs to speak a little deeper, get a little closer to his microphone.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: See, look how great he sounds when he gets close to that mic. We can we can keep improving the show if we do it all together. So, yeah, talk
1: back to us, send us emails. Our email is on the website. Harass us on social media. Well, I'll, I'll spend this week working on my microphone technique and we'll be back very soon with another special guest.
0: Yeah, actually, next week's show, maybe, maybe the biggest movie that we've had. I don't know. I don't know. It could be. I'm thinking it is.
1: I'm, I'm,
0: I'm Are we he- telling the people what it is, Dave?
1: I'm hearing the words blockbuster it's very it's very big blockbuster
0: you know and it's and for viewers of a certain generation and a certain age it's a seminal piece of ip so you don't want to miss that subscribe tune in we'll be back with a great guest next week until next week insert catchphrase here
1: get over here